Hello everybody, Jordan here, the PH is silent, and in this episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show, we talk about Critical Role and the new Unearthed Arcana variant features. Also, I lost internet connection a little bit, so there is a slight hiccup in the middle of the episode. My apologies, but I hope you enjoy. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Saturday Morning D&D Show. My name is Jordan, with a silent PH in the middle, and I am joined always by my wonderful co-host, Sir Lucian, over at Sir Lucian Gaming. Say hello, say good morning, say hi. I'm going to say one of those. I'm going to go with good morning, everybody. Welcome to another show. Hope you enjoyed it. I see some familiar faces. Hopefully we'll get some new ones. Start spreading the word. I'm going to grow that community. For sure, we really appreciate you guys. Uh, appreciate you all coming out to the uh, watch us live on YouTube or Twitch because we stream on both. Um, my phone's making noise, so uh, thank you for coming out, chatting with us, catching us live. Uh, you, if you're not catching us live, you can always catch us on YouTube at the Saturday Morning D and D Show. Uh, YouTube dot com slash Saturday morning D and D show. Um, or uh, we are a podcast uh, wherever you can find podcasts. So check us out there. Um, lots, lots of stuff is happening in the world of Dungeons and Dragons and tabletop RPGs this week, I feel. Um, big things too. So where, where do you want to start? <laughs> um, well, I mean, we're big fans of Critical Role and I know that was the big news that we saw kind of drop early in the week, it seemed like, mm -hmm. and there has been plenty of discussion. Um, so Amazon was able to uh, negotiate with the Critical Role crew and it looks like they're going to go ahead and pick up two seasons worth of a show, which sounds pretty cool. So now is this on top of their Kickstarter season that they were already doing? Or is this going to be bundled in together, do you think? I think it's the rights to stream the original, but then also order more is the way I understood mm. it. So, um, which is cool. I mean, that means it could really reach a, a bigger platform. But, uh, other than that, I don't know where they were going to release it. If they were going to put the episodes up on YouTube or if they were going to put them up uh, or stream them on Twitch at some point, it was never really clear how or where you would see those once they got them created. But they made like, what was it? Eight million for their Kickstarter to go ahead and do their, their first season of a show. Um, so that's pretty good. That's pretty awesome. That means I'm hoping that means that the animators are getting paid well and the mm -hmm. writers are getting paid well and they're getting paid well for the properties of the characters themselves. And it's super cool. And then Amazon just comes in and probably throws down like real Amazon money. Like mm -hmm. eight million to Amazon is like you pulling out a, a, a dime or a, a nickel out of your pocket, I'm sure. Mm -hmm. And uh so I wonder, but you know, with with success always comes the detractors, right? So I saw a lot of, uh, or a, a little bit of discussion out there about yeah. people being disappointed, or you start to get into those conversations of the you're a sellout kind of conversation, or people fearing that we we helped with the Kickstarter, but now we're kind of being left behind. Are we not going to get to see the stuff free or whatever? And um, what do you think of all that conversation? Um, you know, like 
it's it's difficult and it's weird because uh, objectively, if you really want to like look down to the nitty gritty, Amazon is not the best company. They don't really mm-hmm. treat their employees very well. Um, the people that work in the warehouses have uh, not the best pay for a high stress environment kind of a thing. Um, and I have friends that have worked at Amazon in a, in a multitude of, of things. And a lot of them left because it was just so stressful. So there's that. Uh, but at the same time, uh, the people that were very against, like, I can't believe you're working with this company, kind of like they were with Wendy's when the Wendy's one shot came out. Mm-hmm. Um, it was it was a weird conversation on Twitter because uh, Amazon owns Twitch. And so they're streaming on Twitch. They're already, you know, hypothetically working and partnered with Amazon in order to make their Twitch streams happen. So to me, it just felt like this was the next step. And it is a platform, and uh, I was talking about it with some friends, and it was kind of like, well, what are our expectations for Critical Role? Are they expected to create their own streaming service to then distribute this thing that they want to create? Like, it's it's just not, it's not a conceivable idea. So this is the platform that I've chosen, and, and yes, because of the Kickstarter, Amazon is now interested in the in because it made money so now amazon's like well you obviously made money on kickstarter we think we can make money off of you now we're going to order some extra season and things like that so uh i don't know it just kind of it seemed like the next logical step and at the end of the day we get more episodes of this vox machina show like and that's that nobody can be really upset about that like you're getting more Mm -hmm. episodes and i really feel that uh amazon's not going to dictate how the show needs to be they're not going to be like weird producers that come in and say well you need to add i don't know x y and z to this to make it you know i don't know i really do feel like the critical role team is going to maintain their creative control and that was the only thing that i another argument that i saw where people were just Mm -hmm. kind of like well they're gonna like now the corporate man is gonna tell them to like eat hamburgers while they're adventuring you know and i'm like that's just probably not gonna happen because they're smart (laughs) and they want to keep their their ideas and they want to make sure that it is their uh property so uh mm-hmm. yeah i don't know uh i'm excited i'll be honest i didn't listen to season one though so like i know i've read the critical role comic and a couple of other things so i kind of understand uh the characters and i'm excited for like an animated show and i think it'll be a lot of fun but like i don't i'm not like super in love with these characters like a lot of other people are so i also can't comment on you know you love something so much and then I don't know, for lack of a better word, it sells out. Mm -hmm. I don't know how that would make me feel, but I'm not super attached to these characters. So I'm probably not in a good mindset to say something like that. But I don't know. Thoughts? Yeah. Yeah. To me, it's always this weird conversation. I'm probably on the, the unpopular side of it that I think people should be able to turn their passion into a business and make that a successful business. If that means partnering with a multi-million dollar corporation and that gives your you and your family and the creatives that you work with and the people that you hire a fantastic job. I mean, I just, I don't understand how you could even not want that to happen. And then the second thing I like about it is that it's Dungeons and Dragons in cartoon form, which I really miss and I like, and I hope they're able to bring that 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 nostalgia back. And from just the trailers that we've seen, um, like you, I'm not vested in their characters as much as many people are. There's a huge community that just 
have fallen in love with these oh, characters. Yeah. Um, and I get that. That's super cool. For me, it's just more about seeing the, the Dungeons and Dragons animated form and seeing it done well. I'm hoping it's done well because I feel like we're in an age again where you can do animated shows seriously. I've seen some really good adult level animated oh, yeah. shows that have been great. And I'm hoping for that for this. You know, I'm hoping that it's a, a real good run at it. Even if it doesn't make it, I'm just hoping that it does. And I hope it leads to more. Um, and if you're on with a company like that, if it's if it's doing well, we might have eight seasons of Vox Machina at some point, or we might yeah. have 10 seasons depending on what's going on. Um, so I think that's pretty cool. And then if that's pretty successful and does well, maybe we get the live action movie. Maybe we get somebody who takes that material seriously and says, this is Forgotten Realms is a fantastic world to set some cool Game of Thrones style production TV show into it that we could watch. I mean, it makes it takes it out of the realm of, oh, this is just a kid's game. This is just a game that people play in their basements. This is just, it turns it into, wait, there's a huge audience for this that wants to see more of it and see it taken seriously, not just made fun of because everything we see in movies that revolves around Dungeons and Dragons is usually a joke. And I get it. I laugh with it. I love community. They did a comedy episodes about it. They, you know, you'll see it in some of the other big sitcoms will mention it. If you see it mentioned in movies, it's also usually some part of a joke and it's funny, but where's the serious take on it? Where's the Game of Thrones style? We're not joking around. We're going to hit you in the gut with this really good stuff. So I'm hoping that this is like a stepping stone to that. Um, so, I don't know. I'm curious about that because I, I think you're you're approaching it from a, a standpoint that like uh, – a, you know, critical role is Dungeons and Dragons and it's going to, and people are invested in the Dungeons and Dragons aspect of critical role. And that's what mm -hmm. they're going to make more shows off of. And I think it's the opposite. I think like uh, people aren't necessarily invested in the Dungeons and Dragons aspect of it. They're invested in those characters. So I think yeah. this will do well. And I, and there will be some fancy producer out there that will say, well, if these guys are making money off of this, I'm going to make money off of this. And I'm going to go <laughs> grab like a forgotten realm story or I'm going to do this. And then there's all these people that are like, well, I don't like the forgotten realms or I don't like this. You know, they like critical role. And although D and D is the underlying current of all of that, it's not, mm -hmm. I don't know. Matt Colville said it really good in a live stream or a tweet or something where they were saying, uh, like, are you hoping for a Dungeons and Dragons movie? And he's like, what does that even mean? Like, I don't, I mean, you could do a Dragonlance movie and take some of those stories from Dragonlance and make a cool fantasy movie, but to make a a D and D movie is a really different mindset, and I don't think that's what people want because you get things like that community episode. Um, there is a movie called Zero Charisma that I was really excited for that is about people playing Dungeons and Dragons, and it kind of turned out the same way as you were saying, like making fun of them and things like that, because Hollywood hasn't really figured out how to make it good. Uh, right. So. Well, and most of those are always, like you just mentioned, the big point there is that it's a show or movie or scene or episode about people playing Dungeons and Dragons. Yeah. And I don't think Fox Machina has that. No, I see yeah. them as characters living in a fantasy world that's based on things we understand. So there's rangers, there's druids, there's yeah. fighters and clerics of gods that we understand. So even though it's not Forgotten Realms per se, I think what I'm hoping is it shows people that they can grab stories like that if they want to take them seriously. There's no reason that if you didn't want to take a Dragonlance yeah. story seriously, that you couldn't take the same people that did Game of Thrones and they were really into it and said, you know what, we're going to do the same thing with 
you know, Dragonlance and we're going to yeah. make it serious and we're going to be, the costumes are going to look great. The filming is going to be great. We're going to have big battles, great CGI. There's going to be a compelling story to really grab you from that world. So that's what I hope, instead of like what it's been, like you just had mentioned, trying to show people playing the game. And I, I don't think we need more of trying to show people playing the game. I just want to see these worlds like an Eberron, you know, if somebody really took that, that material seriously, there could be a really cool four seasons fantasy of noir yeah. of Eberron. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it could be really Eberron. interesting. So I hope that's what it does. I would have been fine if they had, if Netflix would have offered them money, I would have been fine if Hulu would have offered them money because they're going to get to stream. I'd have been fine if Disney plus had offered them money. And at this point, everybody's, you know, big anti-corporation, big anti-government. And I get that. Um, we're in this weird world of politics and class-based finger pointing and, and everybody looking at what companies do and that being a statement of, you know, how they do things and whether we're going to boycott those kinds of services. And I don't know, I just want to see a cool show that I can wake up on a Saturday morning, like on a Saturday morning D&D show and just, just watch a fun show and then go off and do my thing for the rest of the day. I don't want to have to think about the political implementation implementations of i'm saying that word wrong of you know who's the production company behind it or who funded something like that i just want to enjoy the content the creativeness of it okay. so well there you go but i think i'm the unpopular one. i think i'm on that unpopular <laughs> one. <laughs> so i saw that i think for them um it's cool that they've created this company they're voice actors who are turning it into a production company so that's very cool um, I can't wait. And I think, did I, I think I saw that is who's the CEO of their company. Is it, it's Travis, right? I don't know. I saw something in a tweet that said, you know, Travis did a really good job with this, our CEO. And I thought, Oh, you know, I didn't even realize who was what within that company. Mm -hmm. So I, I mean, it's a real company. It's not just, you know, six people playing Dungeons and Dragons anymore mm -hmm. on a, you know, on a Thursday night. So that's pretty cool. Yep. Um, no, I, they've I evolved a lot and I wish them the most success. I think it'll be really yeah. cool. And this is obviously going to, I mean, it'll, it'll spark other things and who knows, maybe we'll get an animated show for uh, season two of critical role um, yeah. uh, or critical role, the musical, you know, and if people yeah. will be staging it all across the nation, it'll be great. Yeah. Now, <laughs> the one thing I do think that they should figure out logistically is those who did help with the Kickstarter. Cause I believe me and you helped with the Kickstarter. If you weren't an Amazon member would you still be able to see the show and i know that was one concern i'm i'm almost positive that they're going to make sure that anybody that helped with the kickstarter is definitely going to be able to see the episodes that they helped kickstart for sure um i wonder if it's a show that they'll put on for free or as a promotion to get amazon or amazon prime video or any of that stuff um, but if not that is one concern to think about and a legitimate one to talk about to say well if i'm not an amazon because i like net like i only choose one of the services and i love netflix is the one i love and that's the one i pay but i'm not gonna be able to see it now because this one's on amazon that's definitely a conversation worth having i think amongst people because how do you get to the widest range audience that you can when your audience is fractured between all these different mm. streaming services so and that's, we'll have to see that's a whole other thing about streaming yeah. services in i mean general. critical role can't <laughs> fix that yeah yeah but <laughs> but yeah the first season will be free for kickstarter backers um so yeah it, it whether that's like free on amazon or free they distribute it like i i wouldn't worry about that so yeah um that's definitely and the only the only other thing not to keep going after i almost wish it was the new characters that they were building 
the animation on versus the season, the, their first campaign characters. Cause like for me, I've enjoyed campaign two characters way more than I enjoyed campaign one characters. And I think you're in the minority of that. I could be. Everybody <laughs> I talk to, they love season one and season two has been kind of like, eh, um, but I, oh. I'm right there with you. I didn't, I didn't get attracted to season one. I just kind of didn't like it. And season two, I was like, okay, I can start. They're at level one. This is, or level two, I think they started. And it's like, okay, we're going to start here. Um, and I've enjoyed that a lot more, but that's mm -hmm. the, that's the story I have been following slash I was going to say grew up with, but I didn't grow up with it. But like, that's the story <laughs> that I've been following um, as opposed to everybody else. I know is like, oh my gosh, I got into D and D because I was listening to critical roles. So right. yeah, I don't know. And it's a prequel to what you, they've streamed as the campaign, right? These are the characters before eighth or ninth level I have no in idea. the in the timeline, I think, is what they're doing. I thought they were doing stories before the know. show had kicked off on Twitch. So I don't know. Very interesting. Well, if any of you out there in chat uh, know or have more information, definitely tell us in chat. Or if you go to the YouTube video and you're listening to this after the fact, after Saturday morning, let us know all that cool information. Cause I know there's so many people that love to dive into this stuff and they know that the ins and outs and the nitty gritty of all the details. So, uh, so that yeah. was one big news thing. What, what, what else did you think happened? <laughs> there was another big one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we got this ridiculous unearthed arcana yeah. variant, everything. Um, and yeah. it sparked a lot of, I mean, there's all kinds of stuff like ability score improvements. You can change things uh, or, or during, when you get an ability score improvement, you can change a proficiency um, like certain classes getting cantrips that didn't get cantrips before, like really, really trying to fix the ranger and a bunch of stuff going on there. Um, a new Eldritch invocation or not Eldritch invocation, new pact, like pact option, I think. Uh, for Warlock about an amulet and like, yeah, there was just, I'm looking at the PDF right now, but there's so much going on that, uh, I don't know. I was wondering, is this how they're reinvigorating the game? Like we're not necessarily going to keep adding, uh, we're not necessarily going to keep adding subclasses, but we will be like, this is, this is how we drastically change, uh, up how people play. Mm -hmm. Uh, and it seemed like they got a lot of feedback that players, uh, character classes like sorcerers or, or even, sorry, let me back up. So it seems like they got feedback that they, that players were upset that they were getting shoehorned into a position. Like I chose a spell and that spell just isn't working out. Um, but I can't change anything until I level, or I took a feat and that feat just is not working out and I can't change that ever kind of a thing. And they, they made it so that you could kind of like as you level up, maybe change your proficiencies or something like that, because what you started with isn't actually helping out the campaign. And it just seems that that it's a more fluid way of playing D&D where your character kind of changes with the campaign as opposed to you're locked into this is what I want. I wonder how this is going to change Adventure League now that I think about it. Uh, but I don't know. I, lots of really cool options there. And I really like what they did. Um, mm -hmm. And I... A lot of people are saying, is this going to be the player's handbook two or D and D 5.5? Like, are they, are they changing all this stuff? And I thought that was interesting <laughs> that people were talking about that because it, it is sweeping changes, but I don't know. Yeah. Uh, I'm, I think from what I've heard, there was definitely three different videos that I saw. There might've been more of Jeremy kind of going over mm. some of the stuff and some of the ideas behind it. And 
all of it sounded like valid reasons you would want to maybe go back and look at a few things. He definitely really made it clear in a couple of those videos that once this is released, these will only ever be optional rules, just like Xanathar's Guide is optional, just like any of those are all optional. So I don't ever see this as being like Player's Handbook version 2 or there, I doubt they would ever go to, we're going to call this Dungeons and Dragons 5.5. I don't think they would ever let that happen as much as they could. We may call it that. Um, but I think it will be in an optional book where it brings in a bunch of variant rules. And within that book, we might get a lot of different um, variant classes, new classes and things, but all stuff that your dungeon master can decide for this campaign, does it make sense that we do these things in this campaign. And he also made it a point to say, you don't only as a dungeon master or as a group deciding kind of the rules we want to play within the campaign, you can take some and leave some out too. It's not just mm -hmm. like, well, we're going to do Xanther's guide, but now you have to take it as a whole. And you might not like something in Xanther's guide that, that doesn't work out. You can say, well, we're going to, I'm going to allow Xanther's guide in the campaign, but I want to make sure we don't use this thing. Cause that doesn't yeah. really fit with what we're doing. Or so, like, uh, I want to, I don't like that paladins get cantrips in these variant things. So yeah. we're going to say, you know, yes, you can use the uh, ranger changes, but like the paladin spellcasting changes, those are, you know, and you can kind of pick and stuff. But it made me think about character creation and like you select human or variant human. Are we going to get to the point on D&D &D Beyond where you select monk or variant monk? And then you have yeah. to like pick and choose and puzzle piece your character together. It's yeah. it's interesting to me, and I think there's a lot of uh, uh, potential to create. Like we were talking about all those different combinations either last week or a couple weeks ago, mm -hmm. of of you know I want to take this monk and I'm going to do -da 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 and make a really unique character. Now with these variant things, I feel like you could even puzzle piece a more, and it's going to be yeah. I don't know, it's going to be really interesting. Um, I think what they're doing too is a lot of reflective look at their design and they're realizing the things that resonate with players the most is when they have choices to make at certain parts, certain increments of their leveling. That's why I think the Warlock stands out. That's why I think the Battlemaster Fighter stands out. That's why I think um, Wizard can stand out. All these ones where you're starting to get fine-tuned options at third level you get five you, you pick one of two options at you know fifth level or from a list of seven pick one of these that you mm -hmm. get at eight and then when you get to 10th you'll get to pick another one of these and and those style characters i think are the popular ones where the ones that are just set okay third level this is your ability fifth level this is your ability and ninth level this is your ability people aren't feeling the choice there they're just giving it. And I think they're starting to really try to put more of that choice back in. If you look at the PDF, which is a UA article right now, they list a lot of that stuff as either an enhancement or an addition or as something that can be swapped out type thing. So they yeah. really looked, yeah, they really looked at three different ways of giving you options. And those options work in very different ways. They weren't all the same type. They weren't all replace this ability with that ability, or they weren't all let's change how this worked and make it a little bit better. Or here's a whole brand new thing for you to try out. Um, they put a big mix in there of all of them. So I can't imagine trying to, to play test this at the moment because there's just so much there and it would take some time to go through and try to play test all that out. Um, if all those different combinations on the whole, 
from what I've seen in the, in the community, it feels like these options definitely make the characters more powerful, right? It feels like it empowers the, the characters and the players even more than what the original set does. And I know the people in my campaign were begging our DM that they wanted to use some of these for their classes because they'd take a look at some of these and they were like, I want that in my mm-hmm. class. You know, and they were, they were all about trying to talk our dungeon master into letting them do it. So I think it's interesting. I think it's great. It's another UA article. We've been swamped. We've been blasted with UA articles. I think that's a sign that in 2020, we're getting a big book of a very Xanathar's guidebook because to me, Xanathar's guide from the, was it 2018 or 2019, whatever year it was released in, gave us a lot of options that we really wanted. This, a lot of choices, a lot of new spells, new magic item stuff, new class subclass stuff, new, all of this stuff. And that's kind of the things that I think the community has been aching for, but we've had this discussion again before if you add this on top of that and you add all those classes they've talked about in those UA articles, where do you hit that tipping point of I'm a brand new person coming to your game that you tell me is really super awesome, but I'm super overwhelmed because you just put five books in front of me to show me all these options. And I have character creation goes to two hours to create a character at this point because you're trying to figure out all your options and stuff. So where's that tipping point is it becomes too complex. And I, I don't, and I, I don't know, we've already answered that question. So yeah. it's like, we bring it up again, <laughs> but like, it's up to the dungeon master to be like, no, you can just use this book. Or it's up yeah. to the dungeon master to say, oh, you've never played an RPG before? Here, I made a character for you. Let's see if you <laughs> like it. And then you can take the book home and read it and then come back, kind of a thing like that. So uh, right. it's it's just up to the dungeon master to not make it complex, you know? Right. But I will say that like Pathfinder intimidates me. And I was like, I if, if somebody wanted to run a Pathfinder game for me, especially Pathfinder 2, I would definitely jump in. But I would need like a... Hold on. There we go. I'm back. He's frozen. Oh, okay. He's back. He's back. <laughs> I don't know what happened. My internet connection is unstable. Flashes my computer. <laughs> okay. So, uh, what was I saying? I can't even remember. You, you were, you're intimidated by Pathfinder. And that oh. was really the question I was going to go to. Yeah. At what point does Jordan become overwhelmed with but options? Somebody... There, there's, a, there's a point. Yeah, but if somebody came and said, I want to run a Pathfinder 2 game for you, um, and I would say, where where can I start? And they, you know, like, here's a book, here's this. And I'd be like, you know what? I want to play a, a spellcaster. Just mm-hmm. uh, give me a wizard. And if somebody who knew the system just handed me that, that would be, you know, choice. Uh, but I, I, yeah, it's a conversation you need to have with somebody who's a little more experienced with the game. I guess. Right. So, but it's, and, and I mostly agree, but I don't think it's always the DM's job and I'm seeing it in chat to take care of this problem. The okay. developers can introduce that problem. If they continue, if they put out four books of classes last year, that makes it harder and harder on the DM. I, I get that the DM can be the one that, that helps smooth this along. But at some point, if the company's just throwing tons of content out we get into the 3.5 problem which is what the complaint was is there was too many options and it was too complicated for people to pick up well what's what's the problem of limiting though like i don't understand that argument because you can just say we're only going to use these two books you know fourth edition had like 
thousands of different powers that you could swap in and out and do all this other stuff with. And it got, uh, and they were releasing magazines that had extra powers in them. And if you really wanted to, you could pull from everything. And I don't know, it's just up to somebody saying, no, we're only gonna, I don't know, let's think about fifth edition. And I've ran games where somebody's like, hey, can I play this UA article this? And I can say, mm -hmm. no, you have to play something from the player's handbook. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Like, but and, there, and that's the reason we have different versions, right? Or we would still be on three five. It got too complicated. They created four, then four got pretty bloated and wasn't well received. Then they created five, which would they do with five? They made it simpler than four. Yes. So it's always gone back to trying to make it simpler. So no. com complexity doesn't always. But I think get the game to be the way they want it to be. That's a different conversation entirely because it gets <laughs> to a certain point where they just need to hit reset to thus sell more books. That's more of a marketing thing as opposed to, well, this just got a little too big. I don't know. Like uh, we want to like revise it, but I don't know. That's my take on that, I guess. Like, but then I, I say that possible. and like, like yeah. pa Pathfinder kind of sold itself as being, you know, we're never going to do this. And then they turned around and made Pathfinder two, which surprised everybody. So, yeah. but I feel like that's the, that's the, well, we sold a bunch of books. Now, if we want to, if we want to sell more books, we kind of have to like make a new version and hopefully mm -hmm. people will enjoy it and we'll, I don't know. But. And I'm also coming from experience in playing role-playing games that are very complex, just the one book you get, right? So like if you were to play uh, Gary Gygax's next game after Dungeons and Dragons, when he left TSR and he couldn't write Dungeons and Dragons anymore. He created Dangerous Journeys. Mm. If you try to create a character in that, it takes you four hours to create a Dangerous Journeys character. It's one book. There are no more books for you to buy, but it's so complicated, it never it never caught on. So my only, I guess my only point was is that if they keep adding complexity, so if they keep adding classes and those add new mechanics, which add new complexity to the game, I don't think we're there yet. I think we're at this great point and I love all this stuff, but I know there's a tipping point of complexity where it starts to turn people off. Like they they just want to, you know, a game that becomes too complex, then they start maybe not playing it. But I don't know, that's, you know, we see the marketing and how it works. We've seen the cycles of eight years or so. And then the next version comes out. Um, we played the three versions. You played the three versions of Dungeons and Dragons. Which one was more complex? You know, three, five, four, or fifth. Uh, I never played three, five. I played second edition, fourth and fifth. Um, yeah. and yes, fifth edition is just nice and, and things, but I, I don't know. We're talking in circles at this point, but like you keep saying, yeah, yeah. well, they're going to make true. it more complex. <laughs> and I'm like, but then you can still always just say, we're only going to use the PHP. Like, true. I don't know, but that's yeah, me. Yeah. So. <laughs> I'm, with you. I'm with you. I like it. I just, yeah. So it's fun. And I think that's exactly what that UA generated in the community was the exact thing that we're talking about. People talking, you know, like in circles, people coming at it from different angles. Everybody had opinions. Some people thought it was OP. Some people thought it wasn't. Um, some people were speculating on when we might see something like this. What kind of book might it be in? Would it come in with a campaign setting style book or would it just be a rules book kind of like Xanathar's was is more of a rules book. Wasn't really campaign specific. Um, so it's all very interesting to see, and I'm sure they'll do a survey at some point for feedback, but it does sound the right thing is where they're going to keep it optional. And I think that's the big thing because they're keeping it optional. Your solution works perfectly, but if they ever not make it optional, 
that that changes the argument too. Yeah, and I don't the, think the, they will. the discussion. Like, I guess they're never going really to say we like have to use. You have to use uh, yeah. crafting item rules, and it's like, well, I mean, no, I don't. <laughs> and you even mentioned, I know, I don't want to keep going over. Adventure League, yeah, will obviously be different. And if Adventure League allows this, then that does add in the complexity, no matter what the GM says. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. I'm I I'm super happy for it because I know me and you love to make characters, mm -hmm. and the more options we can get, and the more things we can tweak while we're playing those characters, the more we love it. Like I love all that kind of stuff. I love the stuff that like the Artificer to me was one of the perfect classes because not only did it give us options, but it also gave us narrative things that we could do to really say, oh, my my thing that I create could look like anything. So I get like narrative freedom, but I also get option freedom, mm -hmm. which was really cool. I wish all the classes were built on that premise. Give me mechanical freedom to choose things and give me narrative freedom to do things too with, with some of those things, really things that are meant to be narratively different um, those were, that's my favorite. I love the Artificer class so much. Cool. I can't wait to see it officially. Yeah, it's going to be good. Speaking of that, have you seen the official? Soon. Yeah, yeah. Like next week? No, week after? Uh, 19th, right? So 10 days? Yeah, 19th. So okay. it not next week, but the week after, we'll finally get our, our Eberron book to be able to take a look at it. So that'd be cool. That will be super cool. Um, and then, real quick, uh, they made a clue <laughs> board game. Yeah, uh, I saw which this is like a Dungeons and, and Dragons of clue, and <laughs> yeah. that was weird and funny. So, uh, <laughs> if you ever wanted to play Clue, but set in mm -hmm. the world of Forgotten Realms, uh, then there you go. It's a it's a who done it. Um, it and I that was just a weird thing. I wonder if I wonder who talked to them about that. Where they this were like, feels yeah, this feels like back in the eighties. This reminds me of Dungeons and Dragons starts to get popular. So now everybody wants to get a Dungeons and Dragons version of something. Yeah. So we got we got a Dungeons and Dragons Wendy's meal, or we got a Dungeons and Dragons clue board game. We yeah. might get a Dungeons and Dragon Monopoly game, or whatever. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, people want to. They're like, "Oh, it's all popular. There's lots of people out there that like it." But what made me laugh about this is that you had just done the play, which immediately popped it up into my head. So I'm like, you should go back to that director and you should say, hey, can we do the clue but the Baldur's Gate version now? <laughs> so that would be super fun for them to, to go through. I think it'd be interesting and I, um, I think it goes on sale pretty soon. I think it might have even already been in the Amazon store when I looked it up and I saw that um, uh, Greg Tito had had showed the box up in his show too when you're watching DD News, so it was pretty funny. I don't know how much it'll be. Um, I liked Clue, the original game. I wonder if this the same mechanics would probably work. So you've got like named characters, you're trying to figure out who did it in what room with what weapon, and there's clues going around. And so that's always a fun mechanical game. And, and Clue was a game I liked playing with a group of people. It was always really fun playing with a group of friends. Mm -hmm. um, I just always enjoyed it. Like Monopoly was always like the family game, like me and the family members would play. But Clue was always the game for me and friends and spouses would play. Mm -hmm. You know, like I wouldn't break out Monopoly for that group. I'd break out Clue for that group. Right. Um, and I, I didn't have Ticket to Ride uh, or something. Friends, so I played Clue by oh. myself. Oh no! And that was it. Was so much fun. Just me, and I'd always, I'd always win because I'd figure out who was the murderer because I was playing by myself. Sounds like maybe we should grab this and then at Gen Con, we should have a clue board game night oh. and we'll get some friends for Jordan. Yay, friends. <laughs>
But that was about it that I saw from news, unless anybody else saw anything out there. Um, again, we're at the though. end of the year, but uh, it was big. Yeah. I mean, that UA article is huge. So go check it out. Lots, I'm lots still of going cool through options. it. Yeah. Lots yeah, of I'm cool still looking options. through it. Like with the wizard being able to change the cantrip, that was a big thing for me. I've had that. Mm -hmm. I ran into that problem that you mentioned with, I took um, Bonfire from um, Xanathar's Guide, not realizing, totally missing that it's a cantrip that requires concentration yep. to keep up. And it only started to dawn on me as I'm fifth and sixth level into my my wizard and I want to throw off a polymorph or I want to throw off something else, but damn it, I'm using this. The only damaging cantrip I took was Bonfire. I didn't take anything else. Mm -hmm. Realizing, oh my God, I should switch this out. So now I'm looking at my list and I don't get a fifth cantrip until I don't even know what it is, like ninth or 10th level before I can finally pick another cantrip. Um, I started thinking of ways to get around it. Like I was looking at, maybe I'll take magic initiated eight so that I could get a different cantrip, you know, all these different things. And my DM even was nice enough, said, if you really are unhappy with it, you want to change it, you can. And that really should be the the lesson from that too. If If you don't feel like there's something in your character that's working well, talk to your dungeon master, just say, Hey, I thought I wanted this. Yeah. We've been playing for a couple months now and I'm realizing it doesn't really fit with what I want. Mm -hmm. Can we change it? Can we go back? Because the dungeon master is normally going to want you just to be happy and have fun with your character. They're very rarely going to say, no, you made that choice back, you know, six months ago, you're staying with it. So just talk to your dungeon master. If you're, if you're running into that, um, that problem. In the immortal so. words of Celeste Conowich. <laughs> We, we all think her. friends is going to be that really great cantrip, and then it never is, <laughs> and, and, and never we regret is. taking friends. So. Yeah. But other than that, um, we we move on to our our next little shoehorned in segment that Lucian loves, and I'm not sure if Jordan loves it yet, but I'm I'm just keep thinking if we do it long enough, he'll love it eventually. <laughs> is we're calling it Bardic Inspiration in our notes, uh, or Appendix D, which is always the one I like to. So this week was was the week, the interesting week where I went the whole week and I didn't really come up with another campaign idea. Sometimes happens, right? But I thought what I would use this segment for is a is a flashback or a callback to an inspirational idea I had many, many months ago, almost about the same time last year, about this time, because the way the weather was changing. I had this idea about the Mist, which was the movie by Stephen King, and how would that look if you played a Dungeons and Dragons game or a one-shot based on that? So uh, I used in mine, when I did it, I used the town of Tribor. Um, I used the map that came out of Storm King's Thunder, and I set it up, and I had the players, and I had them, you know, they were traveling through, but they stopped off in Tribor on their way to go wherever they were going to go. And then you kick off the event that night as the mist rolls in and, and things start to happen. I created custom creatures that were in the mist. Um, and the thing that I liked about this idea, for those of you looking for inspiration, the mist kind of n nullifies all those people taking those character races to get their, their night vision so that they can see 60 feet out. But with the mist, you can, you can decide how far anybody can see. You can really control vision. You want to make for a fun game, drop the vision that anybody can see down to about 20 ish feet. 
and see how that really changes the game and the mechanics of what's going on when all of a sudden they can't see at those long ranges. Um, I don't think it's something you want to do all the time, but I think it's fun to introduce into your campaign. And then I really like the spookiness of think, think of things like the old movie, the fog or uh, mist from Stephen King or any of those ones where they just have this ominous kind of weather effect roll in limits vision makes you claustrophobic and then monsters are in taking you and creating you or creating images or messing with your mind or killing people or whatever's going on um and add that into a dungeons and dragons episode which for you i think was just really fun so that was my bardic inspiration that i thought um i would bring back up against because sometimes you go a whole week and there wasn't anything that inspired you um for a new dungeons and dragons episode so sometimes you kind of lean back on some of those old things you've tried. So that one I've tried and ran and it was fun. What about you, Jordan? What'd you come up with this week? Uh, the way you were talking, it made me think of Alfred Hitchcock's birds. And yeah. I think it's in Tome of Beasts. There is a fire breathing goose and I hate geese. They, they live at, they live around our area and they, they bite at you and they like hiss. And I just hate how evil they are. They're, they, they really do guards the gates of hell. Um, and I was like, that would be a really fun campaign to do Alfred Hitchcock's birds only with these fire breathing, uh, geese that like run around and cause problems. But, um, no, this, I also kind of was thinking back to stuff that I've done in the past because I wasn't super inspired by anything particularly this week, but, um, got me thinking about making, um, magic items that makes your, uh, party laugh. And I've heard of people doing this where, you know, my D&D group really likes World of Warcraft. So they introduce magical items that are blatantly from the world of World of Warcraft <laughs> uh, because everybody gets the inside joke and it's fun. Yeah. And I, I did this a while back with uh, Super Mario Brothers. And I wanted <laughs> to create a dungeon that revolved around Super Mario Brothers. So there were mushrooms that you could eat that gave you the enlarge spell. Or there was uh, weird flowers that you could breathe into and cast burning hands uh, with <laughs> these flowers. Um, and then meteorite pieces. Out of it or, and we're back um, again. There you are. Yeah. Or the shell. Sorry. Um, yeah, yeah. But the, uh, there were meteorite pieces that were pieces of stars that mm -hmm. would, uh, you know, make you invincible or really fast or something like that. And so... Uh, Creating silly themed magic items can be uh, a really fun way to, to, I don't know. There are those inside jokes at a table, and I think uh, nurturing those can, it's just really fun. So mm -hmm. I don't know. that mm -hmm. was my, my bardic inspiration. I yeah, guess. I liked it. And I think what I also like about that idea is the idea that you know your group. Like you knew that this group would get that. And that is something that I think all of us DMs always need to remind ourselves is to be tuned into our groups remembering what they like, remembering the things that they're into, remembering the things that we can bring into the game that's going to get that aha moment or mm -hmm. that laughing moment or that that really shocking moment from the group we're playing with, even though if I play with a different group on Thursday night, they might have a different set of things. But as Dungeon Masters, we're all staying in tune with the groups that we're playing with, which I think is really good. Because I think if you hear of a story where a group has not gone well, or if you listen to anybody that says I played Dungeons and Dragons and it was terrible, I think it always comes down to a dungeon master not being in tune with the group 
And so doing things that maybe they like, but maybe their group doesn't like, right? So all friction seems to come from this idea of either the group doesn't have the same idea the dungeon master has, and the dungeon master is not really thinking about what the group wants to do. So the friction starts and that's where the bad things go. So if you could just practice that, uh, that ability of, you know, be in tune with your group, know what they like, you know, play to their, their funny bone or play to their strengths or play to their likes and do the stuff that you like too. like find the same thing where they, they coincide. If you're playing with a bunch of Marine biologists and you're going to throw in an, an awesome, you know, salt marsh campaign, knowing that they're going to love it because they're all marine biologists that's the perfect fit right there you know don't force them into the desert <laughs> unless you think they're really going to enjoy that for some reason um so i think that's great i think that's a great inspiration so if you guys have your inspirations what inspired you this week or if you're going to try one of our ideas let us know in chat tell us how it went see if you if you added it to your group i'm telling you Try the mist. Throw that at your group. I think they'll like it. They'll they'll be super. Going to be spooky, and you can play spooky music, and you can do all kinds of cool stuff with them. Other than that, we typically jump over to what we did in Dungeons and Dragons. I only had a little bit, so I'm thinking I'm going to give uh, Jordan the floor here. He had a couple of games. Yeah, and then, uh, uh, we are. I'm level five. I learned fireball. Yay. My sorcerer learned fireball. I'm very excited. Uh, we're in the home stretch of Acquisitions Incorporated. It has been so much fun, and there are all of these, uh, I was going to say loose ends, but just all of these plot, all these different paths that we could take, <laughs> and I want to know everything. And I was actually talking to my dungeon master that I'm like, I think I want to run this at some point. Like, even playing through it, it just feels like there's so much more there, and I'm like, I feel like I could run this and get a really... Uh, yeah. really a lot of enjoyment out of running it because it has been just a really fun adventure. So um, we are currently like, we got an airship from the home office. So now we have this airship that we're like flying around in. We're outfitting our uh, house that we bought with like mm -hmm. a laser and a moat and we're making it all awesome. And it's just been a lot of fun. So uh, really curious about the, the end of this and uh we'll go till level six i think so we're we're in the final stretch of of the uh adventure it's been a lot of fun um i had a really interesting ghost of salt marsh game and i don't think my players know this yet and they're in chat so they're they're watching um i made up everything on the spot and I have never done that as a dungeon master before, but they were in a forest and I knew that I had to get them back to town, but the direction I thought they were going to go, they kind of went in a different direction. And so they investigated these, uh, these zombies that have been washing, washing up on shore and they got a boat and the boat took them out there and they killed this thing. And then as they were on the boat, I realized I'm like, well, we've got like an hour and a half left and I don't really have any content. So I started flipping through the book and I rolled on some random tables and they found an Island. And then using the random tables, I rolled what's on the Island. And then I rolled, why are they searching the Island? And we went through this whole process where they found magic items. They ended up battling vampires. There were bullywugs that they realized they they used some cool uh, minor illusion and some awesome deception checks to make them think that they were the Bullywugs uh, deity or something. And so they were just mm -hmm. like bowing down and worshiping the Bullywugs or the Bullywugs <laughs> were worshiping them. Sorry. Uh, but it was a very rewarding night of Dungeons and Dragons because I've never 
I've never really done that where I'm like, let's just roll and oh yeah, you find an island and it's cool. But we just played along with it. Everybody had a lot of fun and they're very excited as to where it's going to keep going. Um, and yeah, we'll, we'll see what happens this Wednesday. So, but yeah, I, cool. I made everything up on the spot. It was really fun. <laughs> uh, and I just kind of, uh, thank you for random roll tables and how much I enjoy random <laughs> roll tables. But it reminded me of, uh, there was a video I made a long time ago um, where I'm like, if your players are rolling up characters, you as the dungeon master can take the dungeon master's guide and there are tables in there to roll up adventures. And you literally mm -hmm. could roll up an evening of D&D &D super easy with a villain and a, and a plot and where they're going. And then you just drop in some monsters and some combats and puzzles and it's, it, it runs itself. So yeah, yeah the, it's a really good tool that I don't think a lot of people utilize the dungeon master's guide aside from magic items. They like the magic items, but like there's mm -hmm. a lot of really good tables in there for coming up with ideas if you feel stuck. So yeah, I think those would be cool to have on the DM screen too. So you just have them right there. You're ready to mm -hmm. go. And you were like, Oh, they're having a conversation amongst yep. each other, thinking about what they're going to do. I'm going to roll some stuff here while they're doing that. And it's right there on your screen. They don't even know you're flipping through a book yeah. or anything. So that'd be great. No, it's fun. It's good. Uh, and then uh, Shadowfell Adventures, we didn't play last week, but we're going to play tomorrow, I think. Uh, I have two people that haven't responded yet, but hopefully they will. Uh, and that should be really fun. Uh, we're, we're just getting back to regularly playing in the Shadowfell, and it's been a lot of fun, so... But what did you Very do cool. in your your short week of gaming? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, um, I had a big appointment that I was going on for Tuesday morning, super early. So I didn't want. I knew I couldn't play Dungeons and Dragons till midnight or more on Monday. So we rescheduled for this coming up Monday, where we'll kick back off in the Seeking Revenor campaign. Everybody's excited to get back to it. Um, we had a we stopped at a really fun kind of cliffhanger spot for that one. We'll swing back around. Although. Any of you that are going back and watching some of those for, I don't know what's been going on, but just like this morning, um, some of those longer streams keep having hiccups in them or something happens and the mic doesn't come back or the the, the cameras don't come back. And I, I'm going to keep working on those to, to try to get a much smoother experience on that if I can. Um, so struggle through it if you can, because I think the content's still pretty good. Um, but we did get to play Wednesday night, Team Annihilation. And I just want a second or a hundred thousand percent agree with you on i'm playing an adventure and i'm having so much fun and i'm also thinking about man i want to run this now not because i don't think the person that's running is not doing a good job nothing like that at all it's this it's so much fun now i want to do it because i want to inject my fun into it i want to inject i want to bring that fun to another group too because i'm like oh i've played through it now I have these really cool ideas that I could add something to this part or that part, or I could do something else. And for two of them are that way. I mean, LB's running a really good Descent and their Avernus one. And after we ran the first parts of that, it made me think, oh, I really want to run this for a group of players and yeah. see how they do these things. And I get to kind of manipulate what's going on and be fun to do these different things. But same with Tomb of Annihilation. I mean, I've said it a hundred times now. I'll probably say it a hundred more times. It's become my favorite module at the moment. And we just had a really tough fight where we didn't think we were going to survive. And it was a perfect kind of storm of we only got like one round of combat in before the session ended last week. <clears throat> and at the end of that, we had just gotten pretty beat on. We didn't know all the stuff that was going on. We had, didn't understand what was happening to us because it just sprung on us very quickly. And it felt dire. It felt like, oh, my God 
this could be it. And we stop. So we go all week long thinking about what am I going to do when the turn comes up, right? So a couple of things that that kind of triggered for me is one, I sometimes I felt a little guilty or from a dungeon master standpoint, you always think about, well, your players are doing things and making decisions in six second increments. They're trying to play characters who are making snap judgments, right? Really quickly in the heat of the moment. And sometimes you don't want them to spend an hour thinking about what they're going to do in the next six, the next six seconds. Right. Mm -hmm. So you sometimes encourage them, come on guys, we got to keep this moving. There's a lot going on. You can't just, you know, spend your whole time trying to figure it out. And so I started thinking about that from a player side, because here I am my wizard and I'm trying to think about what I'm going to do when we start up in this session again on, on Wednesday. And what am I going to do? How am I going to cast this? And how am I going to cast that? And I started saying to myself, Oh, should I not be doing that? Because my character I'm playing only has six seconds. But then I remembered my character has an 18th intelligence. I have nowhere near an 18th intelligence. The only way I can simulate an 18 intelligence is to give me a week to think about what I should do. So that was my justification for continuing to think about how I should tackle this huge problem. And so all week long, I'm thinking, okay, when we start up, this is the spell I'm going to throw, and that's going to do this and this and this and this. And I wasn't talking to any other players. I was just thinking about it. So there's legendary actions going on. There's environmental things happening. There's invisibility, so we can't see what's happening. There's an anti-magic field, so our spells are getting shut down and abilities are getting, all this stuff's happening um, in this fight. And we had a really good time. We found our way around it. We found the where the edges of the magic field were. We, we found out how to find something that was invisible, coming up with cool and fun ideas. And we just had this spectacular fight. I mean, we all loved it. We all had a great time. I think the dungeon master loved it as much as we did because it went long enough that the dungeon master didn't feel let down that the creature didn't challenge us, mm -hmm. but it also we didn't result in a TPK. It didn't result, you know, it just resulted in one of those things that we'll talk about. And I'm being very opaque about it, or I'm being very um, <clears throat> not much details because I don't want to give away one of the cool encounters that's in Tomb of Annihilation. Yeah. So if you're playing that, you'll eventually probably run into this and your group will have to deal with it. But it also may, reminded me that even though I thought the whole week about how should I, what are we going to do to get our party out of this before we all die? Should I just, I mean, it was even to the point where I thought, well, I'm the only one outside of the room. I was the only one that hadn't stepped in yet. Should I just run for it? And then we could get a new group of party members. <laughs> we can, we can figure out one person will survive. It doesn't need to be a total, no, I should go in. And I should do this. <clears throat> but then I also got reminded after we played this session, I don't have to think about the way for our party to survive because there's five other players in our party and, or there's four other players in our party and they all had cool ideas. Mm -hmm. And all I had to do was think of a cool, a coolish idea. And with all of our cool ideas coming together, we were able to overcome it. So I didn't have to put the worry and the strain on myself. How do I get us out of this when I should just trust my group is going to come up with some really cool and fun ideas. So it was really good. From a DM standpoint, um, the thing that I, I really want to encourage people to do is add environmental effects to the battlefields where your people are having fights. We've, we've talked about that before. Add in elements every now and then that mixes up or changes the meta that your group has, has devised, right? We're a melee-centric group, so we like to go in and beat up on things. And so... We have kind of one plan, which is, you know, hit it with our forehead, just do a headbutt, and that's how we deal with things. And this challenged us. This said, you, that's not going to work. 
it was 20 feet up in the air. So all of a sudden we had to figure out how are we going to get up there? We can't see it. Um, there's other things happening. Uh, spells and abilities aren't working. Magic items are shutting down left and right. It was a really fun thing. And I bet of the whole adventure, it'll be the, the one battle that we remember 10 years from now versus any of the other battles that we had already in this tomb. That's going to be the one that we all talk about and, and kind of, have our camaraderie about is going to be this battle because it was really fun and engaging. And it made you think of how to do things differently. Use your character. Like what do I do as a wizard when my magic is shut down? Mm -hmm. That's a big different way to play all of a sudden than, than everything. So we had a really good time in it. I encourage you, if you haven't played Tomb of Annihilation, find a dungeon master that's willing to run it for you. I still think at some point I want to run it myself mm -hmm. just because I loved the jungle adventure. I love the city exploration. I love the tomb dive. Um, I love the themes that are going on in it. Um, and I would love to be kind of in control of some of those options. Now that I've seen, cause I've watched it played by Adam Koble's group. I played it once and got halfway through it before that campaign stopped. And now we're in the second campaign where I'm playing through it and I'm probably going to end up finishing it or we're going to die trying. And even though I knew that stuff, I'm still having fun because the dungeon master is able to change a few things that each one of them have been different, right? So it hasn't always been the same. It hasn't always worked out the same. Um, I didn't know all the things that were going to happen. I don't know all the secrets and it's been super fun. So I definitely recommend it. Can't wait to play it um, again next Wednesday's, Wednesday to see where we're at. <clears throat> We've got to be getting pretty close to hitting level 10, which is an exciting area as a player take the dm hat off it's always fun to get your character that high of a level that that area where you start to get to 10 11 12 you really start to feel like this character is very different than it was in one twos and threes levels um because you've lived with that character for so long so there's a lot of fun in that so if you can get your group to those levels and not just like me stop a campaign and start a new one all the time which is what i do all the time um definitely recommend it let your characters get some of those high level characters to play around with i think they're super fun um other than that that was the really cool now have you played in tomb annihilation for anybody yet nope. for you Has i've ran read it, it. uh oh. that's about it but I will, and I do, I agree. I really like it. Um, Tomb of Annihilation and Out of the Abyss are the two adventures that I really want to run at some point in my oh, cool. D&D career. So what is your favorite module then of all the ones released by Wizards of the Coast? I'm, I'm on record now saying Tomb of Annihilation is my favorite and I think the best. What is your favorite and the best? Or are those two different things? Those are two different things. Uh, the, oh, okay. the best one, I'm not, I'd have to really think about. Uh, but my favorite is Out of the Abyss. Um, I like the, I, I really, I'm trying to think of why I like it. I like the exploration of it. It, it does have some problems. Mm. There's, there's issues with Out of the Abyss because it's an earlier one that they wrote. But uh, I like the... Random encounters, uh, the drow, the underdark, just this weird world to explore. I think it's really cool. And I I don't know. It just resonated with me when I first read it. And that's something that I want to run really bad is uh, awesome. Out of the Abyss. Yeah. Well, also, thanks for the raid from Variant Rolls who came over and raided us with 12 people. I yeah. was in my monologue during all of that when, I, when it happened. So thank you for swinging by and, and seeing us on our Saturday morning D&D &D show. I always hate this because 
it's only an hour show and Jordan always makes sure we stop at the hour. He never lets us go longer. Yeah, He's a I gotta go play D and D. I gotta eat dinner <laughs> right. or eat lunch, go to D and D. That's what's gotta happen. That has to happen. Uh, that is our show, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, sorry again about the hiccups on YouTube. My connection is not the best today and we had problems last week as well. So I don't know, yeah. say la vie. Uh, I'll, 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 I don't know, reset my router or something. And see I think we fits. may have been cursed by a coven. Maybe we've, we've upset a hag Some hags, or yeah. two I don't know. and they're messing with us. <laughs> it's weird. Uh, but we appreciate you watching us live, catching us later on YouTube or listening to the podcast. If you do either of those, uh, consider sharing the show with your friends and yeah. consider leaving us reviews or comments on YouTube and things like that. We really appreciate it. It helps the show grow, helps us get out there. And that's what we, we, we'd like to have happen. So yeah. And the YouTube channel's pushing, it's getting close to that thousand point like mark, which is gonna thousand, allow us yeah. to do some cool stuff. Um, so, you know, tell your friends and family members, come out to the Saturday morning D and D show and support the show, but also just go on YouTube and help us out. And we can do a lot more cool stuff for you guys. Absolutely. Uh, we will see you next week with another episode of the Saturday morning D and D show. Goodbye, everybody. Bye. Our intro and outro music is 8-Bit March by Twin Musicom, licensed under Creative Commons. Check out their website at www.twinmusicom.org.